Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast. I'm Alex Stonehouse, and I'm joined today by Bernadette Lowney, my co-host. And we have the pleasure of also being joined by Angelique Davis from Mount San Antonio College in California. Thanks for joining us today, Angelique. Thank you for having me. Can you start us off by giving us um, a little intro into your background, how you got started in public procurement and how you, how you came to the position you're in now? At- yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, my name is Angelique Davis. I'm the Director of Purchasing, Printing, and Mail Services at Mount San Antonio College, or better known as Mount SAC. We're a community college located in Walnut, California. Um, Because a lot of people don't know exactly where Walnut is, I'm going to give a little further description. We're close to Cal Poly Pomona, so that's a very uh, recognizable college, and we're actually their neighbor. Our our campuses are adjoining. So my journey in purchasing um, in the purchasing field has been about 21 years total. And of that 21 years, almost 15 of those have been in the public sector. I began my career in the U.S. Army, actually, as a supply specialist. After completing my enlistment, I worked in various roles uh, for different private companies doing purchasing. And in 2007, I began my first public sector role as a contracts analyst for the city of San Bernardino Municipal Water Department. I spent seven years working in that role, and then I got an opportunity at City of Moreno Valley, where I worked as a management analyst and then later promoted to the purchasing and facilities division manager. And then through different reorganizations, I became the purchasing and sustainability division manager. So I worked there for seven years, and I recently saw another opportunity to grow in my career as the director of purchasing, printing, and mail services here at Mount SAC, and here I am. I would say getting to where I am in my career has been a journey of not only gaining experience through various roles that I've been in, but also taking an active approach to education and procurement-specific training or industry-specific training and certifications. So I worked on obtaining my master's in public administration. Um, I also pursued and obtained certification as a certified public purchasing officer or CPPO certification, and most recently the NIGP CPP certification. I've also been active in the CAPO organization, which is California's Association of Public Procurement Officers, which offers a wealth of resources, training, and an amazing knowledge base, which is comprised of our fellow purchasing professionals, which I think is the most resourceful area that I've, I've encountered. Yeah, we're really looking forward to coming out to Capo. Uh, we're sending out a few people to California for the big show this year. So it's it's nice to be able to do that back in person and actually kind of touch base with everybody, share ideas and learn from each other. Absolutely. I have felt very much like I've had just a lot of luck in being in purchasing and the fact that as a as a field, specifically public purchasing, we tend to provide a lot of support for one another. And in some areas, you don't see that. In some other industries, you don't see the amount of support and uh, sharing that goes on in public procurement. We're all willing to help one another and none of us feel offended that somebody took, uh, as far as I, I don't believe I've ever encountered, encountered someone feeling offended that you know someone took their work 
it's kind of like it's an honor <laughs> to share the work and and for someone to want to copy your your product right <laughs> yeah and that, that's definitely a trend we've heard from a lot of the guests and, and people we know from the procurement community is how great the networking is and how supportive everyone is um which is it's so great to have as you're going across state lines sure everyone has different policies and, and different rules but a lot of the challenges um and and things that you guys are looking to accomplish connects all of everyone in the industry so it's really great um so i think that that's a great segue into what we are hoping to learn more about today so from from what i've heard when you entered this new role in july part of the first few weeks you were looking to to ramp up the COVID testing with the community college can you tell us a little bit more about that project yeah, absolutely. So yes, within three weeks of me starting at Mount SAC, the Board of Trustees passed a resolution requiring that all students and employees on campus were to be vaccinated or to provide a negative test weekly to remain eligible to participate in face-to-face -face classes on campus for the fall semester. Additionally, the resolution um, stated that beginning with the winter session, which will begin on January 3rd, so we're actively you know, working on, on making sure everybody's in compliance for that. Um, required that during the winter session, each student and, um, well, actually this is only applicable to students, must be fully vaccinated to participate in classes. So of course this necessitated a system for both tracking vaccination status and for both students and employees, but also providing weekly testing options for students, um, as well as tracking of test results and a means for students to not only access face-to-face -face classes, so having proof that, you know, they're, that they're compliant for face-to-face -face classes, but also for us to be able to uh, check compliance um, for auxiliary services, such as library, lab, tutoring, student service buildings, et cetera. So it was a massive effort. And uh, the date that we got the news about the resolution, it was approximately one week until fall classes began. Oh my God, that is, <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely a fire drill for right. sure. So who, who are the different groups involved from, from what you just described there? There's kind of the, the record keeping aspect of that. So keeping track of who's been vaccinated or keeping track of test results. And then of course the purchasing side of things of getting um, the suppliers you need, the supplies you need, everything to accomplish those goals. But what are the different groups that you were collaborating with to pull this off? So we have a technical services department that kind of handles a lot of different things here on campus, and they've been my main collaborator um, here. They, they just do a wealth of different things, but particularly events. So they have um, very good experience in the management of operations for different types of events, and they have a lot of technical knowledge. So um, my counterpart here at the college has been the assistant director of technical services. Um, and he's been doing a lot of the organization as to, you know, locations that we're going to select on campus for testing. Um, he's been involved in, you know, assisting with the technical integration of the systems that we utilize. Um, additionally, I mean, we had to have student services involved. We actually hired a group uh, to work with HR that are contact tracers. So we've had them involved as well. Um, our vice president of administrative services has been involved. Um, we've had human resources involved, of course. Um, 
risk management has been involved. Marketing um, is a huge piece that has to be involved in everything we do because they're the ones who are getting the word out and the communications out constantly so that, um, because, you know, believe it or not, we can send we can send thousands of emails regarding what the requirements are. And it seems that you still find students on campus who say, I didn't know. <laughs> because, you know, we're dealing with a, a group of, of students and not everyone, I mean, it's very diverse, you know, and not everyone necessarily relies on their campus email, which is the means that we have to communicating with them. And we're very restricted in how we can communicate with students you know, based on uh, their op, whether they've opted into us, you know, sending them emails or text messages. So although technology exists and you would think it'd be easier than ever to get a hold of people and let them know what's going on, we're still limited in, in how we can share this information. So um, marketing has been very critical in getting signs and getting and, and purchasing, obviously, and trying to facilitate getting all everything that is needed so that everyone knows what exactly is going on and when these requirements are going into effect or have gone into effect. Um, additionally, we have worked with, um, we've worked with student groups. We actually have had students on campus go around and talk and pass out information. We find that to be very um, helpful for the students to connect with fellow students and be able to talk through with them. We, we use a term called student ambassadors, um, and that's who we've utilized to kind of get the word out quite a bit as well. You mentioned leaning in on the marketing team a little bit to, to collaborate with and, and work together on this project. I'm assuming the marketing team, their like core function is getting people who don't go to school yet to learn what the college is and what you guys offer and get people to enroll in school. So it sounds like maybe they made a little bit of a pivot to do some of that internal messaging. Did you find a lot of people kind of had to step outside of their normal job description maybe and like do that type of collaboration to make these type of things work? Or are people sticking to the role, their normal roles? No, absolutely. I think that everything that involves COVID <laughs> involves stepping out of your comfort zone in, in some way or another. Um, even our risk management, I mean, you would think this is exactly what risk management trains for, right? This is what they do, but they're encountering things that they've never, ever had to encounter before. Same thing with human resources. It's all been a fire drill, I think, for everyone. And all of us, you know, take delving into an area that we, we are very unfamiliar with. Um, definitely marketing, you know, like you said, a lot of times they're focused on attracting students to the campus and, and communicating with existing students. But I, I can tell you, my marketing director said she got death threats. I, I'm pretty sure that's new for her. Like, <laughs> it is not something that she's ever had before, but some, you know, this is a controversial issue as well. I think that's something else that we forget. It's already a fire drill, right? We have all these new requirements. But on top of that, we have this politically charged controversial issue with vaccination and with testing. And it's amazing the, the things that you see um, that you, you just weren't expecting. Like we're thinking, okay, great. We gave them options. They can be vaccinated or they can test. But then they're even, it's not just students, employees as well. You have all of a sudden, you know, there's questions about, well, is it safe to do a nasal swap? Something I hadn't thought of, you know, as far as people questioning, there's chemicals on the swab that I'm concerned about putting in my body. 
it's, it's just amazing the, the things that you encounter that you don't expect <laughs> in this realm. So I, yeah, I, I absolutely do believe that everyone who's been working on this project everywhere um, is, is encountering things that they, they're not expecting to do and having to work outside of the norm. Can you walk us through what um, you accomplished from a purchasing standpoint? So what, what it took to, yeah, to get this all together? Absolutely. So being new in the role, I wasn't even aware of what we had been doing over the past 18 months. The school had, had been shut down um, since March of 2020, and we just had um, employees and students returning to campus for the first time in almost 18 months. So employees returned on July 1st, students were returning August 23rd. However, there were limited operations that were occurring on campus, such as athletics, um, you know, occurring different competitions occurring throughout that time frame. So I had to start looking at what, what have we been doing? What do we already have in place and researching that? Um, so that's where I actually began and found out we, we had a um, contract for COVID testing already in place. We actually had a few of them. We had one where we would send students off campus to be tested, but our, our board and our president, our college president, were very adamant that they wanted students to have the convenience of testing on campus. So we still needed to set up contracts where we had um, testing available on campus. We did have a contract already in place for the athletics department uh, so that they could be tested on site uh, prior to their competitions. And there's very strict requirements when it comes to athletics because they're, they have to comply with 3C2A, which is California Community College um, Athletics Association, and NCAA, so the National College Athletics Association requirements. So our contract there was a little bit more um, restrictive as far as, you know, when lab results had to be turned around and very costly, not something that you necessarily want to roll out to the entire campus community. I don't know. I know a lot of people aren't familiar with uh, Mount Sac because we're talking about nationally, but this is one of the largest colleges in the United States, single, single campus. We're actually the largest single campus in California and the second largest in the nation. So Although we just had students returning for the first time, we also had many more students than most other colleges. We currently have 26,000 students who are taking classes um, in person in some form. So, and that is on the low end for us. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of community colleges don't even have 26,000 students. We have 26,000 students taking classes in person currently in, in this environment. So we have to consider the, uh, amount of testing that we're going to be doing. And we weren't really sure at the time of what our vaccination rate was. So uh, some, some of the things that we did early on was look at, I looked at our existing contracts and put in place what we could manage with the existing contracts. And then from there started looking for additional contracts that were going to be lower cost. So doing research on how do you lower the cost of COVID testing and oh my gosh, there's so much information <laughs> out there that I've learned about COVID testing specifically. We decided to do a pooled program. So uh, basically the tests are being sent to a lab and they're, they're testing several samples at once. It's called a pool of tests. And 
if there is a negative test, I'm sorry, if there's a positive test in that pool, then all of the samples in that pool get tested again, and they're able to identify uh, which of those samples was, was positive, so which individual was positive. But that greatly lowers the cost of COVID testing. So we and that just that speeds up the process because they can do a bunch at one time? It's not only speeds up the process, it lowers the cost because the lab doesn't oh, have to no, do no. as many uh, of these. Oh, they can sense. do pools of as, as high as 25, 25 um, cool. samples at a time. Wow. So, and in, in terms of if there is a positive and retesting, is that with the same samples or do the individuals have to submit to another test? So it's with the same samples in the, in the way that we chose to do it. Um, there are, there, there are two, I guess, formats in which you can choose. There's it's called pool testing with reflex, which is what we chose, which means the sample, the initial sample that was collected can be retested uh, without the need for another sample to be taken. Or there's without reflex, which requires the, the subject to return and do and give another sample. Well, and that's awesome that you don't have to do that in terms of it, it saves costs on the front end, but it doesn't require the person to have to come back and continue to test again. So that's Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's funny that you bring that up. I was able to find a lot of this information by uh, talking to others, other directors purchasing, um, others in the public procurement field who are also dealing with these same requirements. So I reached out to my colleagues at other colleges, um, El Camino Community College was one of them, um, Riverside Community College, um, and I also reached out to the Foundation of California Community Colleges to look at what types of contracts already exist. Um, the Foundation Community Colleges is amazing. They have a program specifically for uh, all community colleges to leverage existing agreements or master agreements. And they had a number of agreements already for COVID testing. Um, unfortunately, none of those agreements ended up working out for us. Um, but it was a great start and it gave us the ability to at least make sure that we were, um, we were competitive in what we were paying uh, for testing. We were able to, you know, somewhat do a, basically what we would call a request for information <laughs> from all of these companies because we didn't have time to obviously do a full formal RFQ, but we were able to gather the information on what the cost of the testing was from these contracts and make sure that what we were uh, willing to, to put in place was in fact competitive. Um, and com from El Camino Community College, that's how I learned about the pool testing and the pool testing program because they, were, they are doing that at their college. Um, but they do it without reflex and the students do have to return. Um, so that is something we discussed and it was not something that our, our college president and our vice president were willing to um, ask of our students. And all of this happened in the span of a week? Well, it happened in two weeks. So <laughs> what we were able to get it in place within two weeks of school starting. So, um, we had to provide information on the first day of class as to what we would be 
what exactly we would be doing to this, you know, for the students. So they, they did know immediately that the board resolution was passed, that information was communicated and that the rest of the information would be forthcoming on the first day of classes. So we did have to have a testing program in place, but we could not have, um, unfortunately, none of the companies were able to stand up testing quickly enough to have it on the first day of classes. So it, it took a few weeks to get everything um, worked out, but we did by the second week of classes have COVID testing in place. So we actually chose to, chose to go into a few different contracts for our technology piece. We're utilizing a system, it's called Cleared4, but it is a system that tracks the vaccination status. It also is a system in which the results of the testing is communicated to the students. So they have what we call a cleared pass and it lets them know, um, you know that their test was negative or that they, had, um, they have a vaccination on file. They're able to go into the system, upload their vaccination card um, and it will give them their cleared pass or when they take a, a test on campus, they are uh, immediately given the cleared pass until the results come back. And if the results are negative, their cleared pass remains for up to seven days. Um, and then, or if it's, if the results are positive, obviously that pass is gonna be revoked. And, you know, at that point it lets them know that they need to, to quarantine. And then we have a separate uh, testing provider who is on campus, located on campus, and they do the actual testing. And we decided to enter those, those relationships sep separately because as I mentioned earlier, we have athletics testing that was already ongoing. And, um, we did not want to change the provider of that testing because of very strict requirements surrounding athletic testing. But uh, it's still extremely impressive that you guys stood that up in three weeks or less. It's a, it, a lot of work. Even though you told us the time frame as you're telling the story, I'm picturing this all happening over like three months, four months. <laughs> but yeah, it's, that's very impressive. Where, uh, considering the state of the supply chain right now were there any issues that you guys faced in that arena of being able to get supplies delivered to the university you know we were very lucky that because you know technology is one of the largest areas that are having supply supply chain challenges we were very lucky in not having to order additional supplies for computers scanners all of those things are needed for the COVID testing program to be held on site Luckily, we did have those supplies available and we utilized our own supplies rather than asking our vendors to provide those because we knew that there would be challenges with getting those. Um, so no, uh, fortunately, we have not encountered challenges that involve the supply chain in this endeavor where we're obviously dealing with other supply chain challenges mm -hmm. at the moment. Well, that's a good tip for anyone who might be thinking about doing this that you can use your own technology on site. Yeah, aside from um, supply chain though, there were other challenges we definitely um, did face. There were a lot of different organizations trying to implement the exact same thing, not only colleges, but K through 12. Now, if you recall, the governor of California's mass mandate went away as of July 15th. 2021. So I think that going into the school year, everyone thought that, oh, okay, we're back to normal business. And then we encountered a surge 
in with the variant, the Delta variant, right around the same time. And so things were rapidly changing. And I think that's what resulted in our board resolution um, being passed and, you know, being sure that um, the college was taking a safe approach for students and for staff safety. Um, so I think we, we, as a college and not just the college as a state, many of us had to pivot very quickly and decide how we were going to, um, how we were going to handle things when initially there was a thought that students were going to be able to return the class without even wearing masks. Um, and then, and, and then the information came out about the end of July saying that no students will be required to wear masks and uh, staff would all be required to sub to uh, submit to at least weekly testing. So that was a very sudden change. And our board took it a little further and said, you know, students also had to submit to weekly testing, which a couple other, several other school districts also took that approach. So in encountering uh, different contracts, like I said, the college buys program, the foundation of community colleges, reaching out to those vendors, I found that some of them were already at capacity. And so although those contracts were in place, they had so many organizations contacting them that some of them were not viable for us um, and reaching out to other vendors. I mean, this is a new industry. So we had COVID testing, right? You know, a year and a half ago, it didn't exist. It didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't needed. It wasn't necessary. So how we're a group of people who are used to saying, yeah, give us your references and we want to look at your work experience. And um, we're, we're in a situation now where all of those things are, are just not available. So finding reputable companies that are able to do the testing and how you check and make sure that they're reputable companies um, was a challenge in itself. So it really was important to be able to reach out to resources and lean on the network and find out who had worked with other companies and, you know, to ensure that they were in fact providing the services that they're, that they're saying that they can provide and that they're, they're doing it successfully and we couldn't afford to fail. Yeah, and I mean, I think that sentiment that you just laid out is exactly why we started the core of our business at Procurator too, is to, to solve those problems for people, right? It was so apparent at the beginning of the pandemic when people were scrambling to find stuff. And even if you mentioned it's a, it's a new, new field or new thing to deal with, there was a, I still remember that feeling in June of like, hey, I think it's done. Like, I think COVID's yeah. over and there's no variance and it's pretty much fine before the Delta variant got announced. And you had this thing in procurement where people had purchased, let's say 100,000 N95 masks. And then in June, they were like, I think we ordered too many masks. Mm -hmm. We should probably try to sell some of these or move some of these or whatever. And then they, some of them did. And then all of a sudden the Delta variant's back. And then you're like, oh man, I think we need more. I think we need more masks. I think we shouldn't have got rid of the ones we just sold back to somebody else. So they'll kind of like ebbs and flows of this not knowing what's going to come next is so volatile and unpredictable that it's, it's, I think a little bit stressful maybe, but also like kind of interesting from a problem solving standpoint on your side. Absolutely. Absolutely. We came up with, I'm sure we didn't come up with the term, but there's a term we use around here all the time that we're, we're building the plane as we're flying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. What advice would you give to other procurement people who are tasked with something like COVID or just tasked with like early on in their um, tenure at a new place with a project like this that's 
very involved, very has a lot of moving parts, um, but it's something that they're not necessarily an expert in. So I would say absolutely reach out and rely on your network, even if you don't have an established network. I didn't know anybody at the foundation of community colleges. I just looked them up and I started calling and introducing myself and, and don't be afraid to do so. I started introducing myself to different directors of procurement at different community colleges I had never communicated with before. Um, the worst that somebody could tell you is that they don't have time or not return your call, but eventually somebody is going to pick up the phone and they're going to, you know, let you know what they did, what, what their challenges are, you know, look at different organizations. Like I am, I've been very active in capital and I'm, I'm thankful that I have resources there. I have people that I can go to and I feel comfortable, you know, asking questions to, but there's other organizations out there. There's CASBO, there's, you know, NIGP, there's several organizations. Go ahead and join one of those organizations, get on the listserv and start, you know, reaching out to your colleagues. Additionally, don't be afraid when you're new at an organization to say you don't know. I tell people, I don't know all the time. And it's not because I don't have the experience. I have to preface everything I say with, you know, there are, there are differences in code when it comes to community colleges, K-12 cities, counties, special districts, even general law cities and charter cities are different, you know, and you don't, you aren't expected to know it all. And so let your walls down and it's okay if you don't know and it's okay to admit you don't know but be willing to get the answer and let you know let everyone know that what you are aware of and and where you're going to look to get the answers and how you you plan to get the answers and you'd be surprised at how much how much uh assistance that you'll be given you know people are are willing to help so that would be my my advice i i have seen in my experience, times where people are just not really willing to share that this is new for them as well. And I don't think anyone expects you to walk in any place as an expert. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the best ways to actually get the trust of your colleagues or people you meet, or if you're joining a new team or something like that, is to admit like, hey, this was a great meeting. We sat in here for an hour together. You guys said 13 things that I don't know what they mean. Can we run through those real quick? Right. That's the quickest way to like get buy-in from your team, your colleagues, whatever. And then when a week later, when you say, hey, I know this thing, they actually trust that you know it because when you didn't know something a week before, you admitted that you didn't know. So exactly. I think a lot of people would benefit from that, that advice for sure. That's One of the questions we like to ask everybody um, at the end of the show is, um, is there anybody in your career who has helped you get to the place where you are now? fostered you along or, or, or somebody that you would like to give a shout out to? There are so many people I've encountered in my career. It's hard to, to narrow it down. Mm -hmm. Even in, you know, private um, industry, I had a great mentor and, uh, you know, just teaching me people skills, you know, it, not necessarily anything related to, to procurement, but just teaching me really good people skills. So she was my first manager. Her name is Charlotte. And she was, you know, amazing and mm -hmm. taught me so much. Um, but since I've been in procurement, um, I would definitely say Rick Sconberg. He was my manager at City of Moreno Valley. He's a previous capital president. Um, he has been instrumental in my career um, and just, you know, extremely supportive of 
networking and just teaching me to feel really comfortable relying on resources. Um, absolutely. And then our, my previous city manager, um, he was Tom DeSantis. He was excellent. And I mean, when you, you hear someone speak and feel like, it, I mean, as a city manager, you wouldn't expect him to have these polished professional speaking skills. He could be a motivational speaker. I mean, he's amazing. Um, he has so much knowledge to share. And it was, I've been very, very grateful. There's been so many people I've come in contact with during my career that I've been, I've been grateful to just be in their presence and learn from them. That's awesome. That, that's the kind of answer that we definitely love to hear. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This episode has been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm so thankful that you guys are doing this. It's one of the, you know, other resources that I think that procurement professionals absolutely can use. And I hope that, I hope that the audience is growing and growing and, and really taking advantage of this, this resource and this information. Absolutely. Us too. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.